Welcome to Thriving the Future podcast, where we're finding positive solutions to thrive in the tough times ahead. Episode 27. This is the third part of a series doing a detailed site survey for an off-grid property. So for our April workshop, we did a property walk of a friend's site, and he wanted us to brainstorm and give some feedback on how to set up a good off-grid property. So a little bit of background, it's three acre lot in Northeast Kansas. It's currently pastured with trees along the south side. Um, the land slopes down to the south and the southeast. Most of the land is facing south. It's USDA zone 6A. Uh, the owner's goal is to turn around the property in five to six years and retire, but in the meantime, do a proof of concept for off-grid with two shipping containers, put a roof between the two, and then a slab and enclose that so it's like a shop and an off-grid facility. As you're looking for land, there will either be water or there won't be water. And usually the water comes up to the edge of the property. If you're going to add water and it's not already there, then the city, the county, whatever, will charge you a lot of dollars for hooking up a meter. I mean, it can be $5,000. Out there, it would be $10,000 plus you would have to run water all the way, you'd have to dig and trench all the way up to your house. To do that, we've already talked about the, the ground is very rocky. There's a rock shelf that's about two feet down. It'd be difficult to make a well. It'd be difficult to trench all that in. And then also, it would also be difficult for a septic tank and septic system because you'd have the laterals. One of the concerns that we talked about in the last episode is that this is a challenge because if you've got a rectangular piece of land, there's a certain amount of easement. You can't build right up to the fence, right? You're going to have to be back from the fence a little bit. Um, there may be ground wires or something that goes across your land. You may have to situate your building, whatever you're going to have, and your driveway a certain way on your land. And once you put in the septic tank and the laterals, then you may end up with much less growing space than you than you thought. You can grow some things on top of the septic tank, but you're not going to grow edible plants on top of the septic tank in most cases. So that's a challenge. You can significantly decrease your growing area by doing that. So in this episode, we're going to take the third part of that, start diving a little bit more into what we learned from the site survey. We'll have a little bit of eclipse of us walking the land and some of our plans, uh, especially on the southeast facing slope that is facing towards the street or the road because then we can uh, increase curb appeal, which allows us to resell it. So we would put in um, perennials that would give good value that we can use for medicinals, we can use for food, we can use to feed chickens or whatever back at his main property. Um, as well as make the, that curb appeal. So we'll dive into that in this episode. First, we'll play the clips of us doing our the remaining walk in site survey, and then we'll dive into our discussion. Putting in some things to kind of slow the runoff. Mm-hmm. Planting in these draws with a lot of perennial stuff down here up front. Some perennial flowers, some perennial bushes, so that we got that curb appeal that looks good directly to the street and then infiltrate into that um, good medicinal perennial herbs. Uh, And uh, one of the things we get is we get a terrace going up. We slow the water, the runoff. We keep the runoff off the driveway. We get something that looks nice. So we have resale value. 
could also have a place that you can start taking cuttings and plantings to your property in Missouri and get them established. Southwest corner, we need some quicker growing trees to create a little bit more privacy from the neighbor. Over in the northwest corner, we're talking the shipping container house thing. Right. The only thing I have not heard anybody discuss is where we're going to put a compost pile for the composting toilet. I think the main goal has become to increase property value. Right. Begin to explore what this new retired lifestyle will be like mm -hmm. so that he is ready to implement when he moves. Sure. Yeah. I, right. I think that's an excellent way to recover the investment in the property. Yeah, definitely. And so since he's mostly living in town, mm -hmm. I think we had three to four hours on a weekend or so Correct. time on property. Mm -hmm. We need, because we have good drainage, mm -hmm. we, have, we have good rainfall in the spring, we have a dry winter and a dry summer, um, we need some plants that are hardier because they're not going to get watered. So, we can, and gardening is not really a deal. Sure. Um, foraging plants that can be taken back to chickens and rabbits. That's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, we need a lot of perennials. Right. Because we don't want, we don't want to spend time tilling a garden. And when you got rocky and all, hardly any soil, you don't want to be disturbing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And on the hill to sop, that's kind of a problem as well. Right. So, Perennials, I think, are the name of the game. I think that we need to also create curb appeal, right? Because mm -hmm. we're looking at resale value. So we, uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to keep the house area clean. The perfect place to build the house is clearly seen. Where to put the septic field is clean. So we're going to keep that clean. Mm -hmm. We're not going to plant trees there, even though we could now, right? We're right. not going to put a building that would be more of a shop building or a storage building or a shed where the house is going to go. We're not going to cause problems. We're going to Correct. create and design and kind of just sketch in desire for the property. Mm -hmm. And but since nobody's watering all the time, then um, you probably don't want to put in like apples or some sort of thing that needs irrigation unless you're going to put in a pretty elaborate swale system um and you wouldn't want to run animals if he's only out there a couple days a week right so we have some i mean you could but you know you you know your animals are not going to get daily care right but you could but it's irresponsible mm -hmm. and when it's your animals that you are eating mm -hmm. or you are harvesting you want them to have a better life than when you're doing it for other people to eat it correct and it changes your perspective right mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that would put animals on there and check them every couple days yeah even most of the guys i know around here who have big acreage and everything like that they check on the animals a couple times a day sure Mm -hmm. You just have to. It's part of the deal. Yeah, it's part of the deal. And if you're going to, if you're going to eat those animals, then it even becomes you want more. To, you want to be higher even then, right? And if you have a conscience and you're going to be selling those to the greater market, you are going to take care of it as if you were the one that's mm -hmm. going to consume it. Because it's not just about the other people. It's about that animal's life, right? 
so we saw that he dug a hole to see what it looked like and how far down it was um, over less than a year time the hole significantly filled in so there's erosion coming off of the top of the hill we want to slow that down mm-hmm. either by putting in some sort of swale system or by putting in hugo mounds of some sort or terracing to some extent to kind of slow that down so it doesn't just all send soil and water into the uh, creek or road right. right so we need to stabilize soil which means not having bare soil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what's your what's your recommendation so, so, in that? so so since the it slopes the way it slopes down to the road and we kind of mm-hmm. got that nice curve yeah that you'll see in the pictures uh, I think that what we want to do is in that steep part up front we want to put in some kind of terracing mm-hmm. we'll talk about the ways we might do that given the water situation and the time on property we want to focus on perennial right we want to focus on some things that look good during different times of the year and we want it to look like it's well taken care of and easy to take care of mm-hmm. and we probably really want to document well what it is we put in there and what it is and how it is so that anyone coming to look at the property can flip through a book and they can go oh this plant is artichoke it comes up and it looks like this and this is what i can do with it right mm-hmm. if artichoke was one of the plants if it was right. asparagus if it was rhubarb if it was that and it's located on the map here right, mm-hmm. now, right? those things make that easier to sell right because you're selling somebody the dream that they can go down there and they can make a rhubarb pie whether they ever do it whether they even seriously mean it they will see rhubarb on there. They will go pie, rhubarb pie. I always wanted to make a rhubarb pie, whether they ever did or not. Yeah. Because that's, that's the kind of person's going to be looking for this property. Right. Yeah, you're selling a story. Right. And the same with, we can put in a lot of medicinal per, perennial herbs. This set of beds, if we do, we focus on perennials, in the three to five year period, mm-hmm. they will need to be divided or split at least once, most sure. of them. And that means you have something you can give to other friends you have plants you can take with you to another property or you have plants to sell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all good things so one of the things i went and did today but didn't get done before the podcast is i went and looked up in a pdf i got from postmeyer's perennial vegetable production book mm-hmm. and dvd right and um because perennial vegetables is something everybody could eat right and it's more edible than medicinal and that. And it's another thing that is something I want to get doing more of, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read his definition of perennial vegetables. Then I'm going to we'll go down through the chart and we'll look at how I look at one of those charts and pick some things out to start experimenting with, right? Right. The crops included in this global inventory all fit my definition of perennial vegetables. These are plants that living three or more years used as a vegetable, not as a novelty crop or a culinary herb, and not destroyed by harvesting. Some of these, the root crops, are plant-replant perennials. And Mm -hmm. you harvest some and then you replant some, right? Sure. Some portion is replanted of the same or another whole, keeping the plant alive to produce again the following year. Any vegetable, by any vegetable I mean leaves, leaf stalks, shoots, flowers, flower buds. Flower buds, he's got broccolis in parentheses here. Tubers. Corms, rhizomes, roots, pods, beans, and other above, above, or above or below ground parts that are eaten raw, raw or cooked as a meal or a side dish. What's a corm? 
I am not exactly sure. I was looking. Okay. I should know that. That's going to be my but vocabulary it, word it, for it, the it, day. I'm wondering if that's more like the peanuts and like the ground nuts. Because mm-hmm. it's between tubers, rhizomes, and roots, right? right? So. Okay. It makes me think it's not quite a tuber or. Mm-hmm. And it's not stringy like a root or it's not. And a they don't include, they don't include a, a, a dessert fruit like a strawberry, right? So a strawberry. Right. In cases and, of fruits, I mean fruits that are cooked and eaten as a meal or side dish. Eggplant, not fruit desserts like strawberries. Yeah. Hmm. So. Okay. And he split this chart up into climate zone species, region of origin, and sure. things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Your normal sun shade and all that. Okay. So, so give us some examples here. So right here, I've got certain pages. I've got the extreme cold climate he has, mm-hmm. which is USDA zones one through three. Okay. He's got some other international information for people like Shudra. So we'll say sunset zones 144 and 45. Right. Note that heavy snow cover can provide excellent insulation in this zone, but short season and lack of hot summers are a serious limiting factor. Okay. I included these because that meets our stuff. They will survive our frost. This is of no use to people like our friend Shudra in Australia. I mean, Mm -hmm. not cold temperate. We are, uh, this would be USDA zones 4 to 7, That's sunset zones at. 4 to 6, 6 to 11, 32 and 43. This is, a lo- this is a large, highly populated region covering most of the eastern and central United States as well as the warmer parts of Canada. Much mm-hmm. of Europe and Asia and some parts of temperate South Africa are in this climate. Okay. So what kind of uh, what kind of stuff for our area? So not the extreme cold, but the temperate. I think we're gonna cover some of the extreme cold because they will survive in our area. Hmm, Okay. Because there's things like Maximilian sunflower, Mm -hmm. which is North America. It's a giant herb. You got the roots and the seeds are edible. It likes sun. It likes dry to mesic, but it does it in a short season. Hmm. So this is a shorter season sunflower than a lot of the sunflowers. Maximilian. Yes. What's the uh, what's mesic mean just for folks that? Uh, so the, in the moisture we have dry mesic, uh, water aquatic, and emergent. So uh, dry is your drier things that don't need a lot of water. Mesic is closer to approaching needing a lot more water. Mm-hmm. So things that fall into dry to mesic would be kind of perfect for our climate. So the um, Maximilian sunflower would come back every year. Uh, you're, I think you'd be replanting seeds. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. We, we can look up more information on that, sure. right? And sunchoke. I see sunchoke on there. Yeah, sunchoke's on there. See, these are, and duckweed is on here mm-hmm. in this category. Right. Ostrich fern, watercress, mountain sorrel. Rhubarb is in here, see? Yeah. So, you know, that's grown all the time in our area. It's in this list because it will survive in this extreme cold short season stuff, right? Right, right. Cattail is even in there, right? So mm, this yeah, is the, this is a list for our area, but it goes farther north as well. Sure. Okay. What about so uh, our duckweed what about... is not going to work for um our friend Ken, right? Yeah. It just right. it's not right. Sunchoke is an option, but it's mesic, right? So we're looking at it needs a little bit more water. Mm-hmm. So we could try it and see. You ch- you plant sunchoke and. You won't have a problem. It'll take off and just make well, sure that you put it where you want it because you'll have difficulty getting rid of it. Yeah, that's what they say. Okay. Uh, but sun, the, the mesic sunflower is a good one. 
One of the first ones here is Wild Onion. That mm-hmm. one would be a good one. Yeah. This is the one I didn't know. Is I didn't know that showy and common milkweed um, have edible shoots, flowers, uh, young leaves, and pods. Mm-hmm. So that would be a really good one because that's one that will flower, so it will look good. Right. It's usually used to attract in um, butterflies and the monarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, nest in it so that it's sure. good ecologically it's good for pollinators and you can eat some of the young leaves not kill it off it's dividable it that'd be a great thing to have going right okay then we got the ostrich fern which is wet to mesic so that's not going to work because that needs more water maybe down by the creek we can get some of that going because that's you know yeah maybe so that's shade you know that's where they like to be must be cooked as a note on that so mm-hmm. don't go eating that without okay and so well, let's go to the cold temperate, which is more kind of our area. There's yeah, a perennial leek. It's from Eurasia. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is edible, hmm. but it's a perennial leek. So right. we need to. Dis- I need to find out about that one. Okay. And then we got the walking onions, of course, which that that is a perfect one for his what we're talking about here, right? Sure. Because we're talking about doing these terraces, and with these terraces, we're going to end up with some places that are more dry, some places that are more shady, some places that are more sunny. Right. We have an area where water kind of drains off where he's put a berm to get the water to redirect and not go over the driveway. Mm-hmm. And we can put in some of the wetter plants there as we build little kind of, they'd be kind of like temporary ponds or yeah. areas that rain soak garden. and hold. Not quite rain, but yeah. Yeah. It, it's the right okay. idea. Um, Welsh onion or scallions. Uh, mm. Good. On your ramps, that would be a perfect one in that oak tree area where we're talking about maybe putting in a outdoor, you know, fire pit, hangout area, camping sure. spot, sure. down in the cool area off of the high sun where we're going to put in the solar in the building, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. kind of build your area down there. Um, we also have the showy and common milkweed in this list again. Yeah. Asparagus. Asparagus would be really good along those terraced beds, right? Yeah. Um, sea beet has got greens. The greens are edible. That's mesic, so we could maybe put that and see how it does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Turkish rocket is uh, is a form of a uh, greens and yeah, it's a green broccoli. So it's it, it, it. I think it's not quite as a developed. It's not a brassica, is mm-hmm. it? no, because it's a uh, Buninius orientalis. So it's going to have a bud that you can eat like a broccoli. From this note, right, and then the, the greens, and it's native to 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 Eurasia, so, and it's sun to part shade, so that would be mm-hmm. an interesting one to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. I'm not sure what fragrant spring tree is, but it sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. It produces greens. Yeah, sorry, hey, uh, that sounds good to me. Red valerian. Yeah. Yeah. Herb greens, sun to part shade, dry to mesic. That right. big one. Okay. Good King Henry. Yeah. That would be an excellent one. Yeah, I've got King, kind of the, King Henry. Some of the, you know, more water areas. Right. Chicory, that is an excellent plant that might work in those wetter draw beds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what colwort is, but we've got that it has the broccoli-type bud flowers and the sure. greens. Um, sea kale is uh, perennial kale. Right. And that would be a good one. We've got some seed for that, so we'll see how it goes. Here, here's Sylvie. Sil- arugula. Silva. Yeah, it's the arugula, but it's the uh, wilder version, and it forms more kind of a shrubby, mm-hmm. 
herb version, that would be an excellent one to get growing out there because that's just a wonderful yeah. green. It's more Mediterranean-based, so in mm-hmm. his shallow, rocky soils, that is a good one. Okay. That That is an excellent one. We, that, that one just almost has to be done. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Caucasian spinach, which is part shed, dried mesic. Yeah, so that one would be, that's greens and shoots, and it's a vine. Mm. That would cover our vine layer. That would be really good. That's interesting. We don't have one of those yet. Um, mm-hmm. We got the Mac Sunchoke. Daylily. Daylily would be awesome. It's showy. It looks good in the spring. It comes up early. You know, we can plant that in one area and put some tulips and violets. And violets would be another good one because right, they're right. edible. Mm-hmm. And um, what's, what's biscuit root? Um, biscuit root. It says North America herb, tuber, sun, dried mesic. It's a little spiny, it says. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. We'll have, then you got the goji berry, right? Goji would be very good for the shrubs and kind of that shrubby mm-hmm. coming up into our or topping our right beds up there, so that we're you know going from the flowers mm-hmm. on up, right? Um, Marshmallow, leaf. Yes. Mallow. Yeah. That would be a good one. And mulberries in there too. Yeah, mulberries in there. We're gonna try and stay with them, but that be a possibility. Um, American Lotus. No, it's Deep Emergent. That won't work. That's Deep Emergent. Uh, deep Emergent being? Oh, Deep is uh, deep grows down under the water or yeah, yeah. breaks okay. the surface. Yeah. And, you know, that's just not yeah. what we have. We don't have ponds. Ground cherry, yeah. I've got some uh, perennial ground cherry that I'm going to try this year. Yeah, and that's Mesic. So it's that's Denver, Denver, per, um, Denver ground cherry that's perennial. I need to look at that because I'm believing that ground cherry is a um, nightshade. It is. Yeah. So people like me who have a nightshade allergy. Yeah. Well, every time we hear it, we go, yeah. And we know we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've got pokeweed here, which is uh, it's a giant herb form. <laughs> young shoots cooked in three water changes. This sounds like it's hard to cook. But this might grow in our area, it, and it's perennial, right? It's everywhere at my house, everywhere. Right. I, but this and would, the horses, the horses eat it, and then or something happens, and then ends up spreading everywhere. Okay, well, I think well, they eat it and it ends up in their uh, manure. Okay, Here's giant Solomon seal. Hmm. That's roots tubers. That's medicinal. That's yeah. a high dollar crop. Yeah. That's sun to part shade, which mm-hmm. we have a lot of. I've had I've had a hard time getting a Solomon seal seed. Well, if it shoots in tubers, that probably means that we can right. get some tubers. And we're looking for perennial and spreading, and that sure. maybe maybe several of us should go in and split that one, right? Sure. So you just kind of keep going down through this thing, checking each of the parts, right? There's mm-hmm. French sorrel, sheep sorrel, sheep sorrel. Those are all greens that would work. Um, if we think about some of the flowers and herbs. Mm-hmm. Skirt. I just uh, I just got some seed for that. I'm gonna try that out. Yeah. Let's see what is skirt. It's Asia. It's a herb. Mm-hmm. The tubers are edible. Right. Um, sun to part shade, wet to mesic. So that's not gonna work for this property, really, right? Correct. It might work down by the creek if we wanted to put something in down there. Hmm. Um, New Zealand New spinach. spinach. I've driven that. I've yeah. I've grown that before. That would be a good one for there. That's good to mix in with your salads. That's dried to and mesic. And dandelion, again. of course, grows everywhere. 
that's full sun we have we'll have some of those bed spots that might be a possibility mm-hmm. um stinging oh wait nettle. a minute linden lime and basswood the greens are edible what's linden lime and basswood it's called Lind. Uh, I think Linden and Lime in London. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's called basswood around where it's a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to grow closer to. It does well in the cities. It does well near as you're transferring up out of creeks and stuff. Sure. It is a highly workable carving mm-hmm. wood. Okay. But I didn't know the greens were edible. Hmm. That would be interesting to learn more about. See, this is what happens. You learn things you didn't know. Stinging yeah. nettle. Stinging nettle would be good to have. Down around the creek. Possibly. I mean, we're going to think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not here a lot, so it has the potential to go crazy. Go crazy and <laughs> yeah. That could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing, depending on, on how much you, if you like to eat nettle. There are all kinds of also other herbs, right? So we, 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 we could pull out like... Um, Edible Forest Gardens, mm-hmm. Volume 2, go to the back of it and plot out a set of flowers. So do we have flowers all year? Sure. Because when we were talking about things can be done in this property, I went to bed and I was starting to fall asleep and I went, I didn't say bees. Mm, bees, yeah. How often do you check bees? You don't have to check bees every day. Yeah, you don't have to check bees. Right. Yeah. That's that would honey, be... that's beeswax, that's sugar... That's that. That's pollinators on site for the fruit trees that mm-hmm. could be there. That's pollinators for all those herbs. So you've got a great place to grow some of those yeah. plants that you need pollinated that neglect. Like we could do some great corns there. Right. But if we plant a herbal set of flowers through there for the pollinators pulling in the other pollinators and that are perennials that can be taken to other places and shared with other people. Sure. And he doesn't even have to do the bees himself, mm-hmm. right? Because he can get he can get a beekeeper to come out there, and if we have that, that's right. there, that adds to the showiness. So I think that I will probably work through a list. I've been meaning to do that for myself anyway, okay? Because I've been thinking about getting a flower, wildflower, herb, all season pollinator, milpa type mix right. for us. So we'll have we'll have a lot of this information and the pictures on the website. But see, we're not even experts on this, right? No. We just pulled out the chart from a good resource. Mm-hmm. And we walked down it. We have more ideas than we have time to implement. Right. We have more ideas than Ken can implement. Yeah, and, and we're also coming up with a bunch of ideas we can implement in our places. Right. And I've been meaning to print this chart off and uh-huh. start hand copying it into my little notebook here. And this little notebook saved us how much time today? Yeah, lots. With the weather information, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm working on it. I have ideas in here I need to do. And this is probably what I need to spend my most time on this year is filling in this book. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a spiral-bound thing. I've got it here on, on the front. I put, you know, your permaculture directives. Mm-hmm. On the back, I've got your permaculture principles just so I can review them from time to time, right? Sure. But as I've been... I keep losing all my documents. Right. And I've decided to dedicate one to my plant ideas and making these lists Mm -hmm. for this area. Yeah. And then, you know, so if we can do it, you can do it too. So, I mean, basically, we went out and and asked questions. And, And listening, it comes in very important the what's your goals 
and the failures. And what's your failures? My failures have been consistent in many. Uh-huh. Most people will tell you to put sand into clay to fix the soil. Right. Not a good idea. How do you make cob? <laughs> sand, clay. Water and clay. And mulch. I mean, straw. Yeah. Right? Okay. What, what do you do to your garden? You, you, you got clay. So you till it, you put sand on, you till it, you put plants in, you mulch it. Uh-huh. You come in next spring, you till it or you turn it over. You started making cob. Bricks. <laughs> yeah, you're making bricks. Yeah. Huh. That's not what you want to do. No. You want to increase humus. Yeah. That clay is high mineral, high vitamin content. You need the humus so that it's producing the humic acid. You need the soil life doing that sure. and the humus holding sure. the sponge, right? Uh-huh. I know that because I did it wrong. Correct. And you know what happens down there if you till that two, three years in a row? You have that brick right down there mm -hmm. and the tomatoes stay shallow. Mm -hmm. And those failures have taught me over and over millions of things. So get out there Very and good. fail. Yep, get out there and fail. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thriving the Future podcast. Check us out on the web on thrivingthefuture.com. Also, come and join our conversation on Twitter at thrivingthefut. And on our Telegram group, there's a link on the website. This podcast was produced by Scott the Freedom Farmer at freedomfarmer.net. Copyright 2022, thrivingthefuture.com. Join us at the Homestead Journal in living out the classic homesteading ethos on the path towards a simple life that speaks to the heart of humanity. We're an online community embodying and helping our members develop an indestructible homesteading mindset. Become someone who adds walk to the talk and applies proven old world protocols in a modern context. Find us at thehomesteadjournal.net and follow us at thj.net on Twitter. Are you a freedom farmer? Check out freedomfarmer.net, where I focus on skills over stuff and designing an intentional life. That's freedomfarmer.net. If you are interested in starting a podcast and you would like some consultation, how to find your niche, how to grow your audience, how to develop that consistency, contact me at thriveinthefuture at gmail.com.